Hi, I'm Sonny Gill. Hey, this is James Luzano. And this is Talk To Me, Talk To Me. Pain and suffering. Hmm. But let's give that a little context. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I think if you've listened to our other podcasts or when you are going to listen to our other podcasts, you'll hear us talk about a lot of different things, sports, movies, just pop culture in general. And, uh, you know, while you're, you may know us as friends or be acquaintances of ours, so you might be comfortable with kind of our opinions and stuff like that. But otherwise, why would you even listen to us or why would you even not care, but at least why would you be interested, right? Yeah. And it, we hope it's because you like us. Yes. That's <laughs> like us. Please like us. No. Um, but I think it, it, part of what we always want to do because of what we do for a living, which is... We're psychiatrists. Right. We at least wanted to give you guys some idea, kind of just what we do and, and how we approach things and... Um, tells you a little bit maybe about us and about what we see and kind of i don't even just how we approach anything right right it give you a little bit of insight into us yeah um and in, in a little bit of insight that as james was saying you can get to know us with but maybe you find useful which uh, by the way is like not collective right you have your approaches and and opinions and insight and i have mine and yeah. it's different you know yeah I, we don't we don't even we haven't even compared notes on this so yeah we'll find out yes um just to give you a little bit of background, James and I work as psychiatrists that specialize in addiction. Um, so we see uh, general mental health and people suffering from various addictions, um, which for mostly what people think about as substance use. Um, and we work at uh, outpatient settings. We've worked in all different types of settings, but majority of our time now is at outpatient settings and at various treatment centers. Uh, right. and an outpatient meaning like, yeah, we see people in an office. Exactly. You know, what so you think you see, of. Yeah. yeah. So you come to see us in an office and we, you know, we do our best to apply our medical school knowledge and uh, try to help you. Yeah. Um, and so one of the common things that has come up for me, um, James, is, and I'm sure for you too, is when it comes to addiction, uh, it is an illness that is chronic and uh, remitting, meaning it's there. And it's something that we see a lot of relapses with. And I'm sure the people that are listening know that when they think about addiction, uh, you think about someone who's struggling to get off of a substance and you might hear in the news about a celebrity or someone in your life where you see that they've, it's not just done. It's not something that necessarily you fix right away. Uh, meaning that once it is fixed, that they're better. And I guess the reason I bring that up is because in the treatment setting, I see a lot of people that have been trying at this for a while. They've been, they've tried to get into treatment or they've tried to stop using a substance, whether it's alcohol or whatever it might be, and they're unable to stop. And I'd be, I was interested to see from a provider standpoint, kind of how we approach that or approach the course of someone's struggles and I think uh, kind of pick our brains and discuss a little bit of the way this goes and uh, I'd be interested 
if we should kind of come up with an idea of to give the listeners an idea of what we tend to see or an idea of like a case that we would commonly encounter. Yeah, and definitely the 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 commonality is a big one too because I think one thing we like to we like to put out there is that it, it really is a complex um, disease, a complex illness, and there's many many variables. Um, it's not as simple as you know I like this drug and I can't stop it. There's just lots of things that play a role in someone's addiction and their recovery. Yeah, um, and I think when sometimes as the providers, we, we really have to think about all those things. We have to incorporate all those things when we're trying to figure out how do we help them the best way that we can. Right. Um, and you know, everyone's an individual. We're all complex people. We all kind of have different things that we're dealing with in our lives. But I think your point was that there is, there is often a common sort of thread or common variable that you'll see in a lot of people, a high percentage of the number of people you're seeing. Right. Um, and it kind of forces us, forces not the best word, but forces us to kind of think about that in particular and how to deal with it. Yeah. And that's something that I maybe didn't fully understand until we've had the honor of working with these people. Yeah. Um, because the patients that we work with, you tend to notice certain trends. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's helped in, the information and the experiences that I've had with uh, throughout that experience has helped me try to be a better provider going forward. Yeah. Uh, and finding that and through that is I think where we find this common thread that maybe, um, we don't always think about and I didn't think about until it became kind of apparent to me. Yeah. And it, and it, so I guess to give you guys an idea, we, um, uh, a case that would kind of present, in our lives at, at, um, it, in any of these levels of care would be, a 20 some year old male or female who comes in, uh, seeking care for their addiction problem. And it may not be their first attempt to get sober. Uh, more often than not, it's, it's not, they've been through, failed attempts and what to give you an idea what that looks like is someone's tried they've been using a substance and their friends and family realize that maybe it's getting out of hand uh, and they want them to get help they may not they might be reluctant initially Uh, eventually they start realizing that they might need to for themselves because of effects on their relationships their occupation uh, their family dynamics. And so then they go, they go pursue some sort of care, whether that's, they try to stop on their own. They might go to meetings, 12 step and AA meetings. They might enter a treatment center, a rehab. Uh, and I don't want to bore you about the details of what that all entails, but they'll pursue some sort of level of care. Um, and they might be able to stay sober for some time, Mm -hmm. but, uh, then unfortunately the power of addiction is that they relapse. And we tend to see a lot of people in that level of care. They've relapsed. They, they've uh, tried to get sober, but they haven't been able to maintain it. Um, and it can be really disheartening. It can be defeating. And um, that's when we sometimes have to try to step in and try to provide the best care that we can. And what I find interesting is what I've learned as, a, as an approach to that about what does that mean? What actually keeps someone sober? Uh, there are a lot of different competing philosophies 
on recovery. Uh, and I would say competing, meaning that they don't all overlap in what they're, what they think keeps people sober. Um, and I'll tell you this, as an addiction psychiatrist, I think the one thing that me and you have learned is that there's not one way. Right. Everyone's an individual. And I, I think what a key, a key thing, uh, that we'll kind of get to is, um, you know, what is your, what is someone's sort of agents of change, right? Like you're trying to change something in them, um, right. and, or have them change themselves. Right. And so you're, you're constantly trying to look at, you know, look, if we were to simplify it, right. If you lock someone in a room, they're not going to use, right? right. But that's not realistic. That's not life. And so what is, what is a way for us to really affect a change in someone's life? Um, so that, that's not what they do. That's, that's not what their life is, right? We're talking about people who come in, they've had five to 10 to 15 years of a pattern of a behavior of a, of a right. constant use of a substance that's causing all this destruction. And so they need to change that to save their lives, to save their family's lives, to, to, to really kind of, um, get on this sort of better path to health. Right. And so we're always kind of looking at what is that, what is that agent of change? What's going to be the thing that changes that. And I think, you know, to get, we'll get to kind of what you, what your thoughts are about it in terms of like, um, what you're looking for when you talk to someone, what they present with and kind of the things you see commonly, um, as that, as that, almost as that pressure point for us, right. As that point where like, Oh, that's the thing that we need to tap into to affect that change. Exactly. And I think what happens for a lot of people, um, who haven't, you know, if you haven't, dealt with a family member or a friend that's gone through addiction and you look at it superficially, there's a lot of stigma around it. And the idea ends up being, Hey, just stop. And, right. it, and it's, looked just at, cut it out. Just cut it out. It's like, not working for you. Just cut it out. Or it's looked at like a moral, um, there's, there's a moral kind of value associated to it that someone might be a bad person if they use drugs. Well, the issue, yeah, is that this is a choice, right? Right. That they're always choosing it. Yeah. And and I think where where we've come down on it is like it's not a choice. Right. That the illness is is making them do things. Right. Yeah. And so then the question becomes, so why? Why mm-hmm. this illness for them? And they, that's multifactorial. Uh, there's obviously uh, kind of a biological element that we that mm-hmm. we know it, that's part of addiction, which is uh, to make this simple and not super boring is that (laughs) that if you um some people are more predisposed to developing an addiction behavior uh and an addiction pattern and that's carried on through generations Um, but there's also an environmental aspect of environments that people have gone through and then we look back to why they want to change and why they have not been able to change has been uh, kind of what has hit me a little bit of what's been their struggle with changing. So, for example, someone will come in and they've been able to stay sober for six months, a year, next amount of time, and then they end up relapsing. And inevitably, when I have these conversations with the people that are struggling with this, we get down to, so what was going on before? Before the relapse. And people have multiple reasons and multiple triggers of why they end up using again. And it's not that they're weak. And sometimes they think they are. You know, the the idea is like, I was weak and I used again. That's certainly what society will tell them. Exactly. You, you, made, you couldn't hold up. You couldn't right. keep it together. And now look at you. Um, and that's a, a tough way to be. I, but I think, where we're, I think where we're trying to go with this is that you see very often a common thread 
a, a, a through line or um, a, an issue, let's say, that comes up often with your patients. Yeah. Um, and and I so th- what's that? Well, I think it's part of the uh, piece of the puzzle. And okay. this piece ends up being that uh, when someone uses, they're using it for a reason. Uh, and that reason that they use, I tend to find, ends up being to uh, escape from their current state of feeling. They don't want to feel what they're feeling at that time. And the substance allows them to get out of that, whether it's alcohol, an opiate, whatever it might be. It gets them to escape it. And then once they get into that pattern, the use becomes more kind of automatic and habitual. But that initial idea of why I wanted to use was to escape a feeling. Right. And when I've explored that more, I've kind of come up because we are scientists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we've come up, and this is not new, this is not unique to us, but it's just a thing that I think applies is this equation that pain times resistance equals suffering. So to break that down a little bit, yeah. uh, pain times resistance equals suffering. Uh, pain in this aspect is emotional pain, uh, whether that be trauma, an uncomfortable feeling anxiety, fear, some emotional discomfort. And that's what that pain represents. Uh, Resistance is what we do to not feel that pain. Uh, Resistance, not to be confused with resilience, but resistance are the things that human beings do because human beings don't like pain. It's natural for them not to feel that pain. To avoid pain, to dodge it, to relieve it. So we find ways to not not, uh, experience that pain, to get out of it. And so then that those two multiplied together equal our suffering. Again, this, as you can tell, uh, there's no numbers in this. So this is loosely an equation. But the idea being that pain is a constant. And to go back into our algebra days, a constant means something that doesn't change. Uh, meaning, in this sense, it means that you don't get to control it. Your life, uh, your life is going to have pain. Every existence has pain. Yeah, uh, and like, I mean, how would you... How would you articulate pain, right? Because you said trauma, for example. And I think trauma, as an example, is like something that you experienced in your life that uh, that either terrified you, scared you, right. um, actually physically harmed you. Right. Um, and I think when we think about trauma, and I don't want to get into that because that's a whole other topic. Right. But trauma is this kind of idea that something that you experienced like that that caused you that you continue to experience it in some way, right? Exactly. I mean, that's kind of how. Yeah. yeah. And it, and this is, and this, you know, for each individual, it, it, it can, it's so broad what that could mean for them. It can be something uh, your parents split up when you were young and that caused you to hurt. It caused you to have a level of pain. And we, right. in, in our world, trauma represents that. Trauma is big. Trauma does not have to be necessarily an earthquake or a natural disaster. It doesn't necessarily have to be, uh, and it very well can be not to yeah. exclude those things, but it do, it can be anything that causes an individual to feel that level of discomfort, fear, and whatever that might be. And, uh, so that doesn't get to change. Every, people go through pain in their lives mm-hmm. just as people go through joy. All the, people, all really, people, all people. Yeah. this mm-hmm. is all people. And so this equation, actually, we're talking about it through addiction and in the kind of scope of addiction, but really this applies to everyone. Yep. Um, so what I've tried to explain, what I've tried to realize is that, so that pain is a constant, but what the variable in this equation is resistance. Mm. Um, 
And so the variable is what are we doing to not feel that pain? Um, and the other thing to kind of take note in a bigger picture is that pain and suffering get used in in kind of cahoots together all the time. This causes a lot of pain and suffering. Like synonyms. Yeah, yeah they're mm-hmm. synonyms for each other. But in this instance, I don't think they are. I don't think pain and suffering have to equate to each other. Uh, and the goal is to in in this model is to really analyze what that resistance is and in my viewpoint i don't know if this is something you think about when you talk about it but i think suffering is worse than pain absolutely like just by looking at the yeah and i guess i should absolutely mention that that suffering is what we're trying to avoid we're not trying to avoid our pain we're trying to avoid the state of suffering because Mm. of our pain got it so if someone's resistance is high examples of resistance in this model or at all for any human being can be vast right Mm -hmm. there's forms of resistance like uh Repression, where you bury things. You don't want to think about it. It never happened. And unfortunately, our society promotes that one uh, quite a bit, at least from my experience, where people are considered tough if they move on through things and they don't let it affect them. Get over it. Get over it. Uh, Other forms of resistance that apply to this situation is substance use. Right. And this is where it becomes cyclic. So if you can imagine someone has their pain in their lives, an X amount of pain, that's what they're it's specific to their life and it's constant you're saying it's right? constant okay it's always it's it is there. what it is yeah. it is what it is and their resistance towards it ends up they used to repress someone's mm-hmm. growing up they they bury it and it was a survival tactic they didn't want to think about the hurtful things that happened in their life whether it be some sort of emotional trauma like i mentioned your parents splitting up um feeling abandoned feeling insecure whatever it might be they didn't want to feel it so they buried it they wanted to act like it didn't exist mm-hmm so that form that that increased their resistance over time that turned into suffering because the idea is that this doesn't go anywhere you can't just bury it and act like it doesn't exist as your suffering goes up that causes you to feel more discomfort and you double down many times into your form of resistance you want to keep pretending that it doesn't exist or you for the people that we deal with that have addiction problems or substance use problems they double down into that, and they use their substance again. It becomes very cyclic. Sure, and not and not to blow your punchline, but yeah, no, the idea don't. is right is that you by your equation, the idea is to lower or reduce your resistance will be the only way to really reduce your suffering. Right, exactly. Got it. Got it. And and that can kind of come from anything. So, for example, to go back to the twenty five year old that ends up being at this treatment center, mm-hmm. they're not using a substance anymore. Right, so a lot of times, because of that, that form of resistance has gone down. Right, they have their pain, but that form of resistance has gone down. So overall, their suffering has gone down. So the way to look at it is, someone who's in our treatment centers is feeling better than they were a month ago when they were using. Mm-hmm. They're in a better state, and a lot of times, what happens is uh, you notice that 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 state of betterment is very empowering, but it doesn't last all the time. And that's what kind of forced me to see this commonality is like, well, what doesn't sometimes happen or doesn't get addressed is there other forms of resistance, the other things they're doing that are preventing them from feeling pain. Yeah, they've eliminated the substance. But as I said, this applies to everyone in every state. They might be doing other things that are unhealthy. And the biggest one ends up being repression. And the word repression means, in this sense, I'm going to bury my uncomfortable feelings. So one thing that has to happen, for I think, in the, for these people is and for everyone is learning how to sit with your uncomfortable feelings Mm -hmm. 
Because what happens is that ends up being one of their biggest triggers. Uh, one of their biggest triggers to using again ends up being that they feel an uncomfortable feeling and it builds up. They've been they've been sober for six months, but you know what? They've never really dealt with the fact that uh, they feel insecurity for a certain reason or that an emotional or physical or sexual trauma that they've gone through is still there with them. They haven't really processed what that is to them. They haven't felt um, that they've really gotten to explore it and so it builds again and and by that idea though and I, this is interesting because and now we're just kind of digging in but because that's that's what you define as the pain right so that's that's kind of this idea that that's not in some ways it's just not going to change right and so when they do repress it right they're just increasing their resistance yeah and thus they're suffering what's interesting though is i don't know that when you talk to somebody because it's I think you told me, and no one knows, but I think you told me that you do often talk to your um, patients using this equation. Yeah, I write it out, whiteboard, everything. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> and I think like it it might be a difficult concept to kind of go through because they're like, well, on the surface I feel okay, right? Because if you're repressing it, by definition, you're not right. technically trying to experience it, right? right? And then so when I kind of liken that too is like holding, um, holding like an inflated balloon, and your resistance is kind of like holding the end, right? So the air is all in there. Yeah. But the problem that happens is, is that you can't hold that forever. Right. And eventually it starts to leak out. Right. And the air leaking out to right. me is the suffering. Right. We, we definitely talk to our patients in similar languages or just say yeah, it in different ways. Exactly. But, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, I think that, that that's kind of the, the sort of thing. Cause I, I was thinking about, yeah, when, when I, if I'm sitting with somebody, I'm trying to explain that type of concept. I wonder if they would be like, you know, well, I mean, I, I don't necessarily think about that trauma all the time and I don't, you know, it's not yeah. top of my mind. It's kind of right. like, you know, so they're, they would almost counter with like, well, I don't think about that. So why, you know, exactly. And, and then I try to tie it in again. There's not, and I, I make it very clear that this isn't the end all be all of their mm-hmm. recovery or improvement, but I try to tie it into, well, maybe what hasn't been working then. Right. It doesn't seem that what we're doing so far is working. Mm-hmm. So this yeah, is, maybe that's the point. This You're the in the point. room. Why You're in the room. room. We're yeah. here. So it's something to maybe think about. And the way to, so how do we do that? How does someone challenge their repression? It, it becomes an exploration through therapy, to be honest, about what that pain is, exposing it. Because that pain then, be, can become something you've always known it's there you know that my theory is we've known it's there even if you repress it there's a there's some part of us either subconsciously or consciously that knows that it's there but once you don't fear it once you don't uh have it be such a spot that you have to avoid it you can become it can become part of you that it is that it is it is and a it part doesn't of cause the suffering it doesn't cause the suffering mm-hmm. and if that happens i tend to think that that allows uh, someone to avoid what a, one of their major triggers for substance use or any sort of unhealthy form of kind of behavior to manage their stress. So uh, that's kind of the common theme that I've noticed. And again, this is, I think we all as providers in this world, we kind of have our different ways of thinking about this. Um, but there's, I think there's overlap with it. I really like this balloon thing. I think I'm going to steal that. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think the other thing that I talk to a lot of uh, people about um, that's similar to this concept is just that um, 
the the resistance that we defined it as as in this case substance use right and this might be counterintuitive too i have to think about this one now which is you're making me think about it with this equation is i often talk to them about okay that's great you've been able to stop drinking okay so you've stopped drinking and what off what we often see is this is the notion of the white knuckling mm-hmm. is that they they got rid of the thing that was so damaging and okay you know you've crossed that bridge where you are not drinking anymore so we're winning right now right, right? we're we're ahead um but suddenly there's a void right mm-hmm. and i think this fits in your equation where and i often talk to the patients about the void like i'm like look the drinking or any drug use was part of your life a significant part of your life for however long right daily or right. you know huge amounts and all this stuff and now you just removed it and you're like okay well how yep. do i deal with that right like yep. what am i going to do now right because by the way pain is constant and i don't say that but that that seems like what it is so then they're suddenly and i think you alluded to this kind of filling that gap filling that void with other resistance type behaviors right. and i think for Maybe like the AA community, you'd call those, right, the dry drunks, the people who yep. are not actually participating in alcohol use, but they're finding ways to act out um, that help to sort of yeah. prolong the illness itself. Um, so I'm always trying when I talk to patients is like, how are we filling that void? Because, exactly. you know, what, what are we talking about in terms of you can't just take something that was 40% of your life and just remove it and then be like, okay, go figure exactly. it out now. Go figure out how you're going to live your life without that 40%. Absolutely. It's and not realistic. No, exactly. And that's, and that's kind of, yeah, it definitely ties in because that's the, the hope is through time they fill that void with just their life. Their life fulfills it. And part of the struggle of doing that right away is that the reason they were using that substance or that behavior was to compensate for the fact that they didn't want to be thinking about some of these things that are going on in their lives they don't they don't have the coping strategies mm-hmm. you know that's a word that gets thrown all out but they don't have the coping skills to to manage that so if we can challenge that pain a little bit and we can challenge it from not being something that is as alarming to them or as triggering then they don't have to have uh slowly but surely what you're saying that void gets filled with their lives their fulfilled kind of life um, well, yeah, and I, I, just to kind of simplify it too, I mean, I think there are typical things that you could fill the void with, right? Whether it becomes healthy habits like exercise or spending time with people or, you know, people fill it with AA. It's a community that helps them go. Right. But I, what, I, what I think is interesting and I wanted to ask you about it is I think that one, thing, one, one other way to look at it is maybe some of that void actually has to get filled with – the pain experience right like it's not yes, that, i'm nodding right now because yeah. i because you know there's that argument of like let's say we use medication and then some would argue like well look now they're just you know taking that medication instead of alcohol you know and of course that has its own arguments right, but right. but i think it's just sort of like but because I, I think what you're getting at too is it's just like some of that void has to be filled with this idea that you know what you have to experience some of this pain and you have to you have to go through it yeah and not very especially not get over it you have to you have to through it you have to live through it because that's what you've been trying not to do right right and that should maybe potentially take over some of that resistance void i don't know if that does yeah no but i I completely agree i think you know uh it it might muddle your math a little bit (laughs) yeah well that's the thing this is a very simple don't you know this is not in any math book 
uh, we don't have to go too far on that. But I completely agree, and that's I think that's the whole point of the conversation. Then for them is that I try to have is uh, learning to feel is really incredibly important, and I really tie it into the fact that they even elect let uh, psychiatrists specialize in addiction because uh, that's what we're that's what the from our from our standpoint there's a huge there's a large component of addiction treatment that comes down to your mental health how are how you're doing um, and so learning to feel I think helps helps people uh, process that pain get used to being in that pain and then more importantly giving them confidence that they can because I often say and I often think that substances are terrible for multiple reasons you can die you can overdose it ruins your finances ruins your relationships legal problems yeah there's it's numerous but one mm-hmm. of the most uh damaging things that I think substances do is it kills your confidence it hmm. kind of, it makes you believe that you can't handle a situation without it you can't handle an uncomfortable situation without it. You break up with your partner. You don't know if you can handle that pain without it. You're so It's so intertwined with your coping skills. So the idea of learning to process through your pain, like you're mentioning, and that void that you're filling with just feeling that pain, that process is not fun. If it was fun, people would be doing it all the time. Uh, but if we're able to do that, you, the idea of confidence builds in your head that you can that you are able to do this. That is something that you're capable of. And that's not something a lot of people get the reinforcement of when they're using a substance because what they're doing is they're feeding themselves the opposite, that I can't. And it's it's a hard sell too because I think we're trying to tell people like, you know what, you should experience pain. And how do you sell that to somebody? You know, especially when it's like I would live my life avoiding the pain, and and I think that gets back to your equation. It's like you've been avoiding the pain, but you've been suffering. Exactly, and so that's, that's the key. That, um, but it's a hard sell to be like, well, it's a hard sell. You just got to get it really to buy into the suffering that it's a different feeling. Yeah, that that existence isn't what they want. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pain is a feeling that you don't want, but the suffering is a existence and it's a state that you're in that you don't want to be in yeah um again this comes down to these words and semantics but it's a way of it's a thing that i guess you know you have to name it for them to understand it right you can't just talk about a feeling and not sort of identify it um but yeah that's really interesting because i you know i think about um that in the context of really saying i mean this is broader topic for sure but just in the idea of like you know, we identify coping as this, as a big buzzword, right? Coping right. and coping being like, you know, there's a, I think there's a there's a way to differentiate coping and resistance too, yeah. Right? Because you you know, you might identify drinking as a coping mechanism to deal with the pain, right? But you know, but then you're also still avoiding, right? So how? Yeah. How do you look at coping? Because we we could say coping also in a healthy way. Like I yeah. use the example of people suddenly exercising more, going to the gym. Right. Then could you not argue? Well, isn't that a way to avoid it? Because you're just going to work out and you're not feeling absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I even tell some of my people that I work with, I'm like, look, the person. This is no offense to my marathon runners out there, <laughs> but I'm just like, look, the person that's running a marathon every month. <laughs> there's that, a chance. There's of a what? there's a thing that they're that they're. That's a form of resistance because they don't want to feel what they're feeling. I think we've lost all of our marathon no. listeners. Uh, look, and here, and I guess, but no, that's a perf- that's so important because it the, again, the one thing I, James and I, want to always reinstate: this is not necessarily 
uh, this isn't the way. This isn't the one way to do it. Mm-hmm. It's just a way sure. to think about it, where you can maybe see how it applies to your life or someone's life. In that, uh, we as human beings have tendencies. We're animals. We have tendencies, and the tendency to not want to feel what you're feeling is incredibly normal. It's actually a survival yeah. test. Like it's you protective. It's, it's protective. protective. And it had value at some point. Mm-hmm. And I think this is what ties into the moral part of this for me about substance use, mm. how we don't look at it morally, is that when someone uses one of these defense mechanisms for to uh, resist their pain, going back to this thing, is it's not because they're a bad person. It's because what they know to survive. And if it happens to end, eventually end up into substance use, it's not because they're weaker, they're... Uh, they're not as strong, they're morally wrong, and they've chosen to do this as a conscious decision. I just tend to not look at it that way, and I, I think it's hard for me, it's even impossible possible for me to look at it that way, given the people that we've worked with. Because you see these people, you get to know them, and we, as we understand as human beings, this is just a human being that's learned to use this to survive at some point, and now the suffering has gone so high that they're not surviving this way. And so yeah. now we have to backtrack a little bit and set it up again. And what's interesting too, because I, I think when we, when we talk about this is it's like, I think, I think the way that we've been talking about it so far is like, you could still almost paint it as a choice, right? Because we're still saying like, Oh, you know, your resistance is almost like a choice or not that we're actually saying that, but I right. think it can be, I think it could be construed that way, and I think I want to. We should make clear that, like, yeah. we're not we're not so, saying the resistance is a choice in it, terms of like you choose to do different behaviors, different coping no, you, mechanisms, you, or whatever. And, and if you do look at it as a choice, it's a choice with a reason why, right? Right. The re- and there's a reason why that choice has been there. It's because certain pain has not been addressed, or certain feelings, or trauma, or it doesn't have to. I keep using the trauma, but certain things in your life that cause you discomfort have not been addressed. Mm-hmm. And so it might be a if it, even if it's a choice, it's a survival choice because that's what we know. That's what the person is used to. And so when they're when someone relapses, it's not necessarily. Now this is my opinion, so that I'm going to take blame. Well, that's for what this. they're here for. Our opinions. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not be it. It is because the substance is incredibly powerful. There's no doubt about that. But it's not because they didn't want to not be on the substance. It's not because they chose necessarily in my eyes that uh, the substance was their priority. It was to me in it's my the feeling it's it's the feeling to help avoid other painful feelings. Mm-hmm. That was the priority is that I don't want to feel this. There's not a lot of people that we see that say, you know what? This is good for me. The substance is good for me. They can address their value and why they gain from it, but they don't necessarily are they they do rationally understand to some degree most of them especially when they're coming to talk to us looking for some sort of care or help they do understand all of the things that are negative about it so to to make that make sense of the larger picture is so i don't i don't necessarily look at it as the choice is that they've chosen the substance because they prioritize the substance it's they chose maybe that defense mechanism and that which is that substance because that feeling that they were having before was not they couldn't that that was not that that the coping or the how to attack that feeling or how to live with those uncomfortable feelings they haven't done they haven't learned how to do that yet yeah and i right and i I think to further your point i think it's like let 
So as doctors, we'll worry about the substance and the biological and the physiological aspects of it. But when you're talking about what you're talking about and the level that you take it to a patient, it's beyond the substance. It's not even about the substance anymore. No. It's about the state of being. Right. And I think that that's why – I think there's that's why there's a stigma and that's why there's a challenge in in having people understand addiction and, and, and not have the stigma attached because – I think there's very few people, well, um, I shouldn't say that, but <laughs> there are people who almost can't imagine what it might be like to live their life in constant discomfort right, and suffering. Right. Right. And, I'm not, you know, of course, there's people who deal with lots of chronic illnesses, physical illnesses, and people who, who deal with stressors and things like that, um, of course. But, I, I, but to almost feel internally... Like nothing feels good. Right. And to almost constantly be in that state. Right. And suddenly you're handed something, you're handed whatever it is, that gets you out of that state. Yeah. And then that gets back to our idea like humans, their animals, their biological drives are going to be like, get out of this miserable state and get to this good state. Right. And then unfortunately, there are these substances that create all this other damage in their lives that actually help them escape that state, yeah. help them escape that right. suffering. Right. Or no, I'm sorry. Help them escape the pain. Help them escape the sorry, pain. Sorry, I'm getting the math wrong. Yeah, help help them, them escape the pain. Right. Yeah, help them escape the pain. And that's, and so Which any, leads to suffering. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah. So I think James and I wanted to just kind of have an open-ended conversation with each other. I think we're a little all over the place, but I think we're okay. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm actually okay with it because I think it's genuine to how we think about this stuff. And um, for listeners, I hope you guys get a little bit of insight into how we as two psychiatrists who uh, work in this field think about some of this. If you find any of it useful for yourself or others, great. If you don't, that's great too. Uh, but maybe you'll get a little bit of an idea um, of who we are and how we approach some of this. And I think this is something we actually want to continue to some degree here and there, just bringing up things in our absolutely in our professional kind of world. Yeah. I mean, I think we spend our working lives um, really trying to understand someone else's existence and their and position. Their yeah. And that's not everybody's job to do, nor is it should be everybody's position in their lives to do. But anything that helps to give you some understanding of either your own personal experience or someone in your life who may be dealing with these types of things, an understanding of their experience, hopefully just leads to more compassion, better relationships, healing, yeah. you know, because we see it first, firsthand that this stuff causes a tremendous amount of damage. Um, but I think the overall generic thing was that, you know, we at least wanted you guys to sort of just know more about how we look at things in life, um, through the, through the lens of our, of our careers and, and kind of what we love to do. Yeah. Um, and just give you a sense of, of us as people so that you kind of know, why the heck do they like this thing or like that sport yeah. or like this team or yeah. this maybe help Taylor? I don't know how you'd make that connection yet, but um, but it's all there. So yeah. So thanks for listening, guys, and um, there'll be more to come. All right. Talk to you. Talk to you later. <laughs> talk to you. Talk to you later.